Hello and welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Our guest today is Mitch Light, who is a college football editor at The Athletic. We will be talking about Vanderbilt's 41-7 loss to LSU and a number of other football-related topics. The Vandy Sports Podcast is presented by Jody Jones, DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after general and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. Jody has earned the title of number one in Nashville for cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spa-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many athletes, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate service to all of his patients. Jody never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Special thanks to Jody for being the title sponsor of this season. Today's news is presented by Sutherland & Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in any type of an accident, call Taylor or Russell at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Well, Vanderbilt falls to 0-2 with a 41-7 loss to LSU at Vanderbilt on Saturday. The only touchdown for the Commodores, Ken Seals, finds tight end Ben Bresnahan for Bresnahan's first career score. Commodores will face South Carolina next Saturday. Mitch Light appears on our guest line, and that is brought to you by Bowling Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowling Branch sheets were until I got them. They are fair trade certified, which means they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That's spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Mitch Light joins me today. Mitch is a college football editor at The Athletic. Mitch, hope you had a great weekend. Thank you for joining us today. I did, Chris. Good to be here. Thoughts on Saturday's game. Vanderbilt maybe has a chance if it can convert that late opportunity inside the LSU 10 at the end of the first half. It does not. In fact, it does not even get a field goal. And it was basically all downhill from there. Yeah, it was. And, I, you know, I – it's easy to sit here and say if they score there, it's a different ball game. I, I don't know if Vanderbilt has enough defensively to stop LSU in the second half. Um, but there's a lot of different ways that game could have gone. Um, and one of them obviously was 41-7. Could have seen a you know a 34-21 type game if Vanderbilt took advantage of its opportunities. Um, so it, it, it's weird to say in a 41-7. And, and you know maybe I'm just trying to be too optimistic or anything, but I was explaining to someone who didn't watch it, I said – you know, watching the game, it didn't feel like a 41-7 game. It got out of hand in the second half. But, um, you know, Vanderbilt, again, statistically was dominated, but but did some good things, especially running the ball. If they have success through playing LSU and Texas A&M, two very good defensive lines, have success running the ball that they have had um, in the first two games, I would have been surprised there. So I think that's been a positive. I thought Ken Seals, you know, his numbers weren't great. He missed some throws in the first half. I mean, these are kind of 
minor well they're not minor things but they're things that Vanderbilt needs to do you need to be almost perfect on offense I think there was a first down around midfield and it was just a swing pass and I, I don't know if it was to Marlowe I think I don't know if Marlowe didn't run his route fully or Seals just missed him by a yard but it looked like it would have been you know seven to eight yards on first down that sets up second and two instead of first and ten then obviously in that fourth down play uh he missed uh Abdul Rahman by you know just kind of threw behind him a little bit so you know Vanderbilt's just gonna have to be perfect especially when it's playing these good teams and you know LSU despite its week one loss is a very talented team I think getting Stingley back hurts Vanderbilt obviously because they they're an offense that has trouble getting separation and when you add a Maybe some people think he's the most talented defensive player in the country. Add him to the equation, that, that that's going to hurt. So, uh, n- not all too surprising result, um, but um, you know, kind of w- when you're not when you don't take advantage of your opportunities um, against a, a good team like that, that's what's going to happen. Gut feeling, and this is two weeks in. It's a limited sample size. Obviously, it's been a weird season. But where do you think? A&M and LSU are in the final rankings. That's good. Uh, you know, I, hmm. it's hard to evaluate A&M because, you know, Alabama was so good. Um, I, you know, I, I'd obviously pick Alabama first. I don't see any reason why one of these teams can't finish second. Auburn did not look good. You know, clearly did not look good against Georgia. Mississippi State came down to earth. I don't know if that was a blueprint on how to defend them. Um, there was a very good piece in, on ESPN.com today by Bill Connolly, who has, you know, went to Missouri, has strong Missouri ties. And he, he pointed out that Gary Pinkle's Missouri teams always did a good job of defending Texas Tech back in the day. And Barry Odom played at Missouri, was a grad assistant on some of those teams. And Barry Odom's now at Arkansas. So um, maybe Barry Odom has a little bit of the secret formula there. So, I, you know, I, if, you, if you just watched Vanderbilt play the last two weeks, you'd obviously say LSU's better. Um, I don't know. I think LSU has more room to grow than Texas A&M because they have so many new starters. I didn't love Miles Brennan. Um, I think Texas A&M's got the better quarterback. So if I had to guess right now, I'd say I'd take LSU over Texas A&M. And I I think either these teams could finish second or they could finish fourth. This seems like a year where the East has really closed the gap on the West. I, I think so. I think Tennessee's the, the kind of the wild card there because um, Georgia and Florida both look very, very good. Obviously, if Tennessee is top fifteen, top ten, good, then yes. If they're not, then I don't think it has because I don't think Missouri's all that good. I don't think South Carolina's all that good, and Kentucky, you know, they had high hopes this year, but they're zero and two, and they just lost to Ole Miss at home. So um, I'd, I'd still take the West if I was a if I were a betting man. Okay, let's do it this way. Let's go down Alabama, number one. I don't think anybody would question that. But is Florida two? Yeah, I uh, I think I know where you're going. I think the West has the best team, and then I think the East has the two next best teams. But then I think you could throw the West having the the, the fourth and you know fourth, fifth, and sixth team. You know, you, you could put Tennessee somewhere in there too. But uh, I I just think the West has more top fifteen, top twenty teams than the East. Yeah, I'm not really sure what to do with Tennessee yet. I do think that's probably a top 25 team. Uh, has not played great teams so far. But I think where the East got dinged a little bit was Kentucky this weekend. Yeah, it's just – and I, we and the, the podcast that we do uh, at The Athletic, um, I'm on with David Ubbin on Thursday. It's called Football and Grits. Um, I kind of threw out that I thought of all the uh, all the teams in the SEC this week 
Kentucky had the most pressure. Now, obviously, Alabama, Georgia, all, all teams with national title aspirations, there's pressure every week. But for Kentucky, team that came in with pretty high expectations internally and was getting a lot of buzz in the preseason, lose a tough game at Auburn. To come home, you have to beat Ole Miss at home, or you're that's an 0-2 hole, um, and they lost it. They lost by a point. So I thought they had a lot of pressure on them. They had 400 yards rushing at home and lost, and that doesn't happen very often. Is Missouri Vandy's best chance for a win? Because I think it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big South Carolina fan either. Uh, um, I don't think they're, they're they're limited offensively. They don't have weapons that you know. They uh, Kevin Harris, a running back, actually had 100 yards against Florida. Um, I think both of those teams are limited offensively. So I think both of those are, are opportunities. And obviously, you got to go play the game. They'll be they're an 11 point underdog to, to South Carolina, but I, I think both of those games are opportunities for Vanderbilt. Well, and I agree with you, but on the other hand, South Carolina did play two top 25 teams very close by the score. Yeah, uh, I just South Carolina is one of the teams I work with. Like I work with Josh Kendall, our writer, and uh, I watched you know, pretty much every snap of both those games. And uh, they were, you know, they lost to Florida. They were down 21, 24 points most of the game. That, that was one where the final score was not as close as the game. I'm not saying that Vanderbilt's going to beat them. I'm just saying I, I think that they're limited. And, and one thing about Florida, as good as they've been, they've given up some points in yards. I mean, they gave up 600 yards to, to Ole Miss, and, and South Carolina had a couple good drives against them. Do you think Will Muschamp's on the hot seat? I was talking to somebody who works in another athletic department uh, who had talked to his AD this weekend, and his AD had said, look, I think this is the year that nobody gets fired, and maybe that's right because of the, the weird situation. But at the same time, when there are certain commonalities that accumulate over seasons, and those are the same ones that show themselves – in this current season, and with Muschamp, I think this was on our board. Somebody had written about the last drive. You know, they've got a chance. They need two scores to be able to take Florida to overtime or to win, and they get the ball with eight and a half minutes left, and they use that almost all back on one drive, which I guess on one hand it's easy to say, well, you know, you need to score fast against Florida or whatever, but it's another thing to do it. But I think the point was, obviously, that there was a clock management element in there that's been lacking. I just wonder what his job security is heading out of this year if they disappoint. Well, I'll tell you what it was. I did the research. Um, South Carolina was down 14, got the ball with 8-11 to play. 18 plays, 74 yards in 7 minutes and 23 seconds. Down 14 points. They got a playoff every 24 seconds including one play they in the final minutes, they, it took them 38 seconds to get a playoff. So that was a big subject, a uh, big topic of discussion in South Carolina uh, among the, the media and the fans uh, after that. Um, I, I don't think you will get fired just for financial reasons for, for, you know, the COVID and all that, the, the athletic department's finances, they have a, and not, this isn't a, a reason necessarily why you should keep a coach, but they have a five-star uh, quarterback Gunnar Stockton committed, uh, just coached by Connor Shaw in high school, committed for the class of 2022. Um, and there are close ties with this coaching staff. So the thinking is that if this coaching staff isn't there, he might not go to South Carolina. So that's one factor. But I do not, I, I think in a normal situation, yes, he'd be on the hot seat. But he's Ray Tanner hired him and he's Ray Tanner's guy. Ray Tanner has stood by him. So, um, you know, I, I think he'll be back next year. Are there any major college coaches you think are on the hot seat? 
Uh, I mean, hot seat's one thing. Will anything happen um, is another. Um, you know, no no school has been immune to it. You know, pay close attention. There's been layoffs. I, I don't know if at every school, almost every school um, in the country, in the athletic department. And so it, it's really going to be hard to justify spending that kind of money. Now, I don't know the inner workings of schools, if you have a one donor who comes and says, I'm going to pay a $10 million buyout, do you, do you accept that? Maybe, sure. But uh, so, you know, it, it's kind of early in the season, except at school, certain schools to, to pinpoint, yeah, that guy's in the hot seat. But I really have a hard time believing that m- many coaches are going to get fired this offseason. Was Danny Manning the only Power 5 basketball coach fired? That's the only one that I can think of. I believe so. I believe so. Who would have um, been the next most high-profile coach to be dismissed? In basketball? Yes. Uh, who would have if you mean, nothing happened or who else? No, I mean, who actually was? I don't, you know, I'd have to, um, we could Google the list of coaching changes off the top of my head. I cannot think of. I mean, I know there were some in the OVC because I cover that for Blue Ribbon. I know that Rick Ray got let go. Uh, you know, some like that, but I just can't think of any major coaches outside Manning who were let go. And Manning, I believe you had a set of boosters that stepped up and wrote the $15 million check or whatever that'll wind up being. Now, that might get bought down or whatever. But I think, to your point, it was a group of boosters who stepped up and said, we're willing to make this happen uh, to let him go. Yeah, it has to, because I didn't know that. I didn't follow the situation that closely, but that makes sense because he was fired like a month after all the, you know, what hit the fan. And like, it wasn't immediately after the season where it was the AD made the decision, okay, we're going to dismiss you. So I guess it was some people got together and said, we've had enough because they have, they've been not good for about five or six years. After the COVID hit the fan, was that the word you were looking for? Uh, not really, but no, yeah. No, no. <laughs> that, that, that word works. If that does work too. Back to Vandy. We'll go to the mailbag in a minute. And then I do want to get to one or two college football-related topics. But anything else about that game that caught your eye, noteworthy? I just didn't think, as I looked around the landscape, and I went and looked at Pro Football Focus's grades this morning, Odingbo played pretty well. I just, when I watched the game, I had a real hard time picking players of the game and those sorts of things. I thought that Marlowe was kind of an easy call on offense because – I thought he ran the ball pretty well consistently, but defense, I just didn't see much of anything to be happy about there. Yeah, I mean, defense, the, the yards per gain weren't weren't great. Uh, Mintz was involved some plays. You know, um, I, I have not watched closely enough. I don't, you know, obviously not at the games as a sideline reporter and not talking to people there. And, and, and it's two weeks in a row where right at Vanderbilt was about to kick off that I had something to come in for work that I had to do, so I actually missed the first drive for the second week in a row uh i went back and watched it but uh you know i I don't know if you've talked to people this is slightly off topic but you know i know uh alston orgy was a guy that that they had been kind of disappointed in the first couple years and don't know if it was a personality conflict with jason tarver but he seems to be playing you know at least up to sort of expectations um you know he's been in there a lot and and you know um uh, who else? And Andre Mintz has done some good things there, but but defensively, this clearly was not. Uh, even though the yards per game were yards per play weren't great at A and M, you just you just didn't have the same look as the A and M game. So I agree with you defensively. I'm looking at Pro Football Focus's grade list, which by the way is not perfect, but 
they have little color charts if you score in certain areas, and green is good. And they had two guys in the green. One is Odingbo, who played 56 snaps. The other one was Davion Davis for the second week in a row, who played 30 snaps. But back to the Austin Orgy situation, I, I would wish I could remember exactly how it was described to me, the thing between he and Tarbert. It was – I don't know if it was a personality conflict. I mean, it wasn't like he's a bad kid and he was disruptive or something. And uh, it was nothing like that. But I, I think there was some sort of a a stubbornness on Tarver's part not to play. And that may not be fair to Jason. I mean, maybe the kid just wasn't getting it done in practice yeah. and doing what they needed to. But it was something along those lines. I, I got the impression that it was like waiting for the light bulb to turn on. I like Jason Tarver a lot. Um, personally, I, you know – yeah, I was, I was in his office one time because I would do interview him and and um, you know for the coordinators for the pregame show, and one of the like grad assistants popped in and they were talking about uh, Austin, about talking to his mom or something like that and just kind of hoping that the light bulb was going to turn on. So I, I got the feeling that it wasn't necessarily a Tarver thing. It was just sort of highly recruited kid wasn't doing the things on the field that they needed him to do to dedicate, you know, so, and, and I don't know if the light bulbs turned on or, or Ted roof just connected with them more, but like, I'm with you. Like, I don't want to suggest that all this bad kid or did anything wrong. I just think he had, had, wasn't kind of doing what they expected him to do. Yeah. That may be the best way to explain it. And, and before anybody gets the wrong idea, I really like Jason Tarver, super guy. I hate that it didn't work out. I had some high hopes for him after that first year, but it was what it was. Yeah, and and he's just I don't care what personnel what 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 your the 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 youth on defense and all that they they the defensive numbers and you just not just the numbers just watching them play too many busted assignments too many huge holes we talked about it last week you know just uh, and that's one thing you you know after last year and I know I know he it was probably suggested he, he do so but Derek had the difficult decision of probably firing two of his best friends in the industry there. Cause I know Gadowski had been with him for a while and they coached together at Ohio. And then obviously he was close with Tarver and I, I forgot Tarver landed on the Browns. So uh, he's a linebackers coach there. So good for him. He's, he's three and one. I'm looking at the snap count on defense. Here's the top seven. I would not have expected it to look like this after two weeks. Jerkins at 66, Odingbo at 56, Anthony Orgy at 53, Kaufman at 50, Justin Harris, who's barely played at 41, that's because Mahoney was missing, and I'll probably write about that a little bit today. I think that was a big loss for them. And then Dimitri Moore at what well, was tied with Harris at 41. I think that's the least amount of snaps Dimitri has played. Maybe that's a working his way back into health situation. And then Rashawn Wilkins played 40 snaps at nose tackle. That's a lot of snaps for an interior lineman there, but – that's something like if you had said two weeks ago that their top seven in snaps was going to look like that, I would not have expected that. Yeah, I think Moore is probably working his way back in uh, would be my guess there without, you know, knowing the situation too much there. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, so, so some some names you'd expect on the list and some surprises, I guess. Before I get into the mailbag, what in the world's up with Oklahoma? They're not. Uh, they don't have a Heisman Trophy quarterback right now who's bailing them out. Uh, you know, they had some close calls in recent years, and they just got otherworldly quarterback play. Their defense obviously isn't, hasn't made the strides, and 
it's not a not a huge surprise. You know, I've been working on some recruiting projects, and this isn't you know most people who follow college football know this. They recruit well, but they recruit great on offense, and they just don't bring in the same type of players on defense. They don't have the defensive linemen. They don't have the cornerbacks or the the secondary that they need to be you know, top, top five team right now. And that's been the biggest uh, problem for them. And it, when they were top five team and, you know, early in the Bob Stoops era or mid through Bob Stoops era, they still had those defensive linemen, those, those guys that future NFL players, but they just haven't had them in recent years. And, um, you know, it's just the, the, they did not make the clutch plays the last two weeks that they had been making in recent years to kind of bail them out of situations. So they're they're a similar team. They're just not getting that great quarterback play. It's sort of like in basketball, just not hitting that clutch three pointer that bells you out and covers up some of your issues. Um, they're just not getting that the, the, the last two weeks. Let's go to the mailbag that is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Give Josh a call today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at HQ or at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try and tell him you heard about it on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Dorking says, what do you view as Derek Mason's strengths as Vanderbilt's head coach, and in what areas does he need to improve? Oh, that's a good good question, a big question. I, I mean, I I think he's a good dude. I think he, he, he has his, the best interests at heart. I think he uh, runs a good program as far as, you know, for the most part, good kids and, and, and wants to do it the right way. I think he's a good defensive coach. I think his players like him. I think his players play hard for him. Uh, what ways do they need to improve? They need better players. I mean, it's quite frankly, you look at, you know, we can talk about positives. We can talk about a freshman quarterback and growing, but they are at a major talent deficit. And I've done this. We're working on a recruiting project. Um, like I said, that's going to be published next week and done a lot of research and, you know, out of all the, I'll give away a little bit of my research. It's going to be in our stuff. Where would you say, Chris? And I mean, you know this. You follow recruiting enough. But out of all of the um, Power Five schools over the last ten years, what do you think? Where do you think Vanderbilt stacks of the sixty-five power schools? Sixty-five power schools. Of the sixty-five power schools, of how long a time frame? Ten years. Okay. What are the criteria? Just I went two four. I know you're part of the Rivals Network, but the two four seven composite includes Rivals and all that. So the two four just average class ranking. I have the numbers over the last five years and the last ten years. Okay, I'm trying to think of who would be under them. Um, probably well, it's, Wake it's, Forest. Um, I, I I would think I would guess they're around sixty, give or take a couple of no, spots. No, it's much better than it, it's. Over the la- their average recruiting class over the last ten years is forty eight point seven. Okay. Over the last five years, it's worse fifty four point seven. Um, so my point is that while Vanderbilt recruits better than a decent amount of Power Five schools, the gap between them and the rest of their conference is greater than any other Power Five school. Kansas is close, but Vanderbilt just from recruiting. Has a, is at a bigger talent deficit than any other school in the in the country from Power Five level. So I guess my criticism of 
Derek Mason would be they just need better players. And I think that's a fair criticism. And you can develop, and they have developed some really good players, but you need more good players. So um, I think Derek Mason is a good enough coach that if he had better players, um, Vanderbilt would be more successful. I think there's many coaches that you, you could could fit into that. It's it's not just about the players, but it's it's, it's a lot about the players. Okay, so that's over 10 years, and they drop – so they they drop from forty eight to fifty four if you switch that from ten to five. Yes. So if you take the three Franklin years out of it, then I would really think the bottom. I'm not gonna say the bottom starts to drop out, but it gets worse. Yeah, I mean Franklin's classes were forty nine, forty six, and twenty six. Although some of the flaws of recruiting, you'll go look back at that twenty six class. There were a lot of busts in that class. Masons have typically been. Well, Masons are 46, 49, 54, 65, 41, 58, 53. So, you know, basically in the 50s with a high of 41, uh, then that one class 65. Uh, but, um, you know, the, the, the teams behind Vanderbilt over the last 10 years, Georgia Tech, Rutgers, Indiana, Minnesota, Northwestern, Oregon State, Washington State, Colorado, Duke, Iowa State, Purdue, Syracuse, Illinois, Kansas State, Kansas, Wake Forest, and Boston College, and again, it gave away some of my research there. We at the Athletic, we're going to conference by conference, kind of decade look back at, at recruiting. It'll be out next week. I think that's great. Um, I would love to, if you really had time. I would love to see how that adjusts for attrition and kids who never show up and that sort of thing. Well, that's yeah, that's 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 beyond my ability. Oh, you know, that would that would take forever. Every program and stuff like that. Yes. What I've wanted to do. That Lane Kiffin class, I think, is in there, and at 2000, that might have been the 2011 class. I might be wrong in like what you go back and look, but they they had a great class. But like I think two thirds of their class never made it two years in the program. Well, the thing that I have thought about doing with time, and I just haven't done it for that, and plus it would probably just depress the fan base on weekly basis. Like if you take the rosters that they're playing, say line them up with South Carolina next week and you go by the rival system and like you got five stars and within that you've got I think 5.2s and 5.1s and just start making a list of the guys who were active on rosters um not not just take the rankings because those include guys who left early for the pros um or never showed up or got kicked out or whatever but just take what is on your roster and start adding those up and and putting them side by side and saying okay this team has this many five stars and this team has this many high four stars and this many low four stars and this many high three stars. I think when you start stacking them up, what you'll find is that a typical SEC opponent, you know, is going to have and with like Alabama and LSU, it's going to be worse. But like say, take Tennessee or um, you know somebody that's middle of the pack like that, and you start saying, you know, where do these players rank? I think you're going to get to where a lot of those teams have 10 or 12 players better than anybody Vandy's got on the roster. I bet that's what you'd find if you did it. Yeah. Um, it would probably make you realize that it's you'd be more surprised that Vanderbilt has won as many SEC games as it has when you look at the, the talent differential at some points. And it's um, and again, I, I made this point a lot. James Franklin, for as, as good as, he, as well as he recruited, he had one top 40 class. Now you could argue he would have kept building and stuff, but that – I don't think he didn't have one class that was ranked higher than 10th in the league. So like the high point of Vanderbilt recruiting has been 10th in the league. Um, but it's, it's not just a, a coach issue. It's been a, it's 
what Vanderbilt has faced, you know, for decades and stuff. So, uh, yeah, there's, there are a lot of underachieving programs out there. Um, Tennessee has the, over the last 10 years is, and then we can move on after this. Tennessee's average class ranking is 14.4 and they're basically a 500 program over that. So that they have the biggest gap between their recruiting rankings and their actual performance. Where I think Vanderbilt makes it up, and I'll give you the poster guy for this, would be Andre Mintz. And Vanderbilt signs in Andre Mintz as a kid who it thinks maybe can make it down the road, and you look up, and he's a fifth-year senior, and all of a sudden he's a preseason third-team All-SEC player. And it's had two productive games so far. Uh, Georgia, what it is doing is that in that same spot, it's signing a kid who is going to go pro after two or three years. And I just think that's where the difference is, is you have some holes in some of those elite teams, like Alabama does it every year, right? Clemson does it every year. Ohio State does it every year. There's four or five teams that do that. Then you have that next tier programs where, uh, to borrow Masonism, if they hit it hot um, and, and guys don't leave or stick around and they don't get injuries, then that's one of that when those next tier teams jump up. But if they have attrition of those things, that's where they fall down to the pack. And again, on the Vandy side, where they make it up is in that fourth or fifth year of development and close the gaps. Yeah, yeah. And and I'll make one more point, then we'll move on. You know, you look at Vanderbilt as compared to Duke and Boston, you know, Boston College, Wake Forest, Northwestern's a little bit different because they've been better, but um, they haven't recruited necessarily better. Uh, the, the problem that Vanderbilt faces, and this is, uh, this has been a problem for a long time is, is why, where all those programs I just mentioned have similar talent. There are more teams, there are more ACC teams that are more recruit in the thirties, forties, and fifties for those teams to beat where Vanderbilt is trying to beat teams that recruit in the high thirties, twenties, and teens. And you just have to be better and more, you have to play better on a more consistent basis where if you're playing against teams like Virginia, Maryland, you know, I'm just kind of making these teams up. You just, the talent gap, that while there is a gap, it's not as great. Last question from Door King. Why was Franklin able to recruit uh, and be successful with the same facilities? Because um, he was a better recruiter. He's, he's a great recruiter. That You know, he came in with a plan to recruit. Certain coaches are just natural-born recruiters, and he had a reputation at Maryland as being a great recruiter. Uh, he had some early success. Um, I think that helps a lot, even though he signed a pretty good class, signed some guys before he played a game here. He went to a bowl game in his first year, convinced that, that he was on the right path. So it's just like why, you know, not trying to oversimplify, but certain dudes are better salesmen than others. And, and he was a great recruiter and had a good recruiting staff. And and um, I would I guess I would argue if you want to nitpick at all that the facility gap wasn't as great when he was there because it was almost 10 years ago. Um and but um he's just he, he was very good at what he did mitch anything else worth going over that we didn't touch on today um can't think of anything there's a lot going on chris but i don't want to talk about that no i'm just kidding um so yeah no not really not really it was fun good weekend of college football it wasn't it wasn't quite as from an sec standpoint it wasn't as the games weren't as great although the the, the Ole Miss-Kentucky game was fun down the stretch, but it wasn't the wild endings seemingly in week one. I think we were just all really excited to have week one to, to have college football back. But uh, it, was, it was a good weekend. Mitch, thanks for joining us today. I look forward to seeing your article on recruiting when that comes out at The Athletic, which I am a subscriber to. Tell people where they can find your work. Tell people where they can find you on Twitter. 
at Mitch Light on Twitter and then at The Athletic. Um, haven't written much lately, maybe a little bit more coming up, but uh, primary jobs are as an editor, so just at, at TheAthletic.com. Thank you, Mitch. All right, Chris. Take care. He's Mitch Light. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We plan to have four episodes coming later in the week, so be sure and stay alert as we drop those.